Harvey Leonard, need I say more? If you're a fan of weather and you live in New England, the name Harvey Leonard is synonymous with weather. So it was such a joy and incredible privilege to interview him. He is amazing. He's so humble and so positive and happy. And for a person that's been doing this over 40 years, he still loves what he does every single day. That was one of my biggest takeaways from this. You know, sadly, there's so many people in their lives that hate their job. Well, Harvey Leonard is the absolute opposite of that. He was a gentleman. He was just incredibly well-spoken, and you're going to love it. So enjoy the legendary Harvey Leonard. Obsessed with the Weather is brought to you by Jim Wolf and Wolf Painting Company, the premier interior and exterior painting company on the South Shore of Massachusetts. Contact owner Jim Wolf today at 617-435-1793 or visit wolfpaintingco.com. That's W-O-L-F-E paintingco.com for a free estimate and mention the promo code obsessed with the weather for a 10% discount off your full painting project. Everywhere he goes, people want to know what's the weather. So he tells them he's obsessed with the weather, any type of weather. Obsessed. Hi, and welcome to the Obsessed with the Weather podcast. I'm your host, Steve McGuire. This podcast is coming to you from the home of some of the world's most diverse weather, Situate, Massachusetts. A reminder to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you listen to your podcasts on, or visit obsessedwiththeweather.com to find out more information about today's episode and more information about the weather. I have a great episode for you today as I welcome my guest, Harvey Leonard, to the show. But before we get rolling, let's begin with our weather quiz. And our weather quiz this week is there are lots of parts of southern New England here toward the end of the summer of 2020 that are currently classified as either abnormally dry or under drought conditions. So it got me thinking about the driest places on Earth. So simply our weather question this week is what location on Earth is officially classified as the actual driest place on earth. So you can think about that as the episode is going on. So my guest today needs no introduction. Uh, If you're a weather fan in New England, you obviously know Harvey Leonard. He's been working on air for over 40 years and is currently the chief meteorologist for WCVB in Boston. Welcome to the show, Harvey, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to get a chance to chat with you. Oh, great. Thanks so much. So uh, I love to open up, Harvey, by just asking guests uh, to tell us. I I always think it's pretty awkward when a podcast host just rattles off all these things about somebody, uh, their information, their resume, all that stuff. I just love to let my guests introduce themselves. So if you could tell our listeners sort of where you grew up, and uh, the career path that's kind of led, led you to where you are now and anything that sort of got you hooked in, on the weather as you got started. Okay, great. Well, um, you know, even though I've been in New England now for 46 years, I'm not technically a native New Englander because I was born and raised in the Bronx uh, of New York City. Wow. Uh, that's where I, I grew up. Um, but, you know, always fascinated by the weather uh, definitely the storms, and for me, most especially uh, the winter storms. 
So um, for me, I would say number one are winter storms, obviously, including nor'easters. Number two would be hurricanes and tropical storms. And number three would be the severe thunderstorms and tornadoes. Uh, Interesting that I've noticed a lot of younger folks, uh, it seems to me, that are interested in meteorology. A lot of them, even in our area now, seem to pick uh, severe weather and thunderstorms, uh, not all, uh, over the winter weather. And I think that's evolved over the last few decades. But in any event, I grew up in New York and um, I always loved the weather. Uh, but um, I don't know about thinking about it as a career. Um, people who might be, you know, my age uh, might remember Don Kent, Bob Copeland, people like that up here. Yep. And they were great role models for uh, people in their day who loved weather in New York. We didn't have quite those kinds of role models on television doing the weather. So, um, I just loved the weather. Didn't know anybody else in my family who loved it like that. My (laughs) close friends didn't. So I just kind of kept it to myself. And it really wasn't until I got to college, uh, city college of New York. When I started majoring in meteorology that I finally met, uh, some other kids who shared this interest. These days, it's a lot easier to do that because, right. uh, you know, remember, there was no Internet then. So you just kind of knew your friends. Yeah. And yeah. if they just in meteorology, they weren't. So I just kind of, you know, everybody knew I was interested in it, but I didn't have anybody to share it with until I really, you know, started taking the classes in college. So I went to City College of New York. I earned my Bachelor of Science in Meteorology. Then I continued on and got a Master of Science in Meteorology at NYU, also in New York. Uh, in both cases, City College of New York, NYU, both were in the schools of engineering and science. And um, while I was in graduate school at NYU, we used to have um, every day for the faculty and staff these daily weather discussions. And I started to lead them. And I really enjoyed that. And that eventually led through somebody who was working at NYU, put me in touch with somebody at a small radio station in New Rochelle, New York, WVOX, 500 watts of power. Wow. And they were looking for a meteorologist. So while I was in graduate school, kind of finishing up at NYU, I started to do these weather reports for WVOX radio. And that eventually led to my first full-time job at Universal Weather Services in White Plains, New York. And our job was to do forecasts for aviation and industry. Um, These would be corporate pilots, uh, pilots who were flying for corporations and flying the executives all over the place. In those days, companies like IBM would be very popular, Xerox, copying machines. Um, And it was great because you learned a lot about weather all over the world because they'd be flying uh, all over the world. That was the main part of the job. But we also had to provide weather forecasts for a couple of radio stations in the area, one in White Plains, New York, one in Greenwich, Connecticut, and one New York station, WMCA in New York, uh, which we did during storm situations, not a regular basis, but we did provide that. And I think having done the WVOX radio, uh, even though it was only for five months in New Rochelle, New York, that radio experience probably landed me the job, even though the job is mostly aviation, but uh, also uh, the fact that I had some radio experience to do some of the radio stations. And um, eventually, uh, after being there for almost two years, um, I knew I met a fellow meteorologist who was actually 
doing TV in New York. And when I was in graduate school, I met a fellow meteorologist who was helping him out with his forecast behind the scenes. And so I met, his name is Alan Casper, and he called me one day and said he had a sister living in Rhode Island, and she heard that one of the TV stations there was looking for a professional meteorologist. And so I got in touch and asked if I could come up for an audition, and I did. And um, um, I didn't really think I had a chance at the job because I had no TV experience. <laughs> So I wasn't very nervous um, and I was comfortable doing the weather, but certainly not comfortable with television. Right. And so I did this audition, never even thought twice about it, did it just for the experience. Didn't even call uh, to say, you know, what do you think? Didn't even <laughs> send a thank you note. Amazing. None of the things you should do. Right, right. And about three weeks after I did it, I got a call from them and and they said, um, you know, we, we'd like you to become our chief meteorologist. And I was basically speechless. Unbelievable. Um, I was stunned. And, um, you know, of course I said yes, because it was a great opportunity. Uh, and I went up there. And I know for people now who might occasionally see me doing the weather on television, they probably think I'm making this up. But uh, the first broadcast that I did on television um, – it was worse than a nervous wreck. I mean, I, I just, I, uh, my chest was going to come, my heart was going to come flying out of my chest. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I could feel my heart beating so fast. I was sweating and I don't perspire much. Um, and, and I remember saying to myself, it's like there's two people inside of me. One, you know, really ready to do a great job. And the other one saying, I'm not going to let you. Right. Right. And, wondering why does a person do that to his or herself? Yeah. It's like, it's so destructive, it seems. Um, and uh, it, it was a very, very gradual process for me getting used to television. I didn't smile for two and a half months. I expected to get fired every day I walked in. Oh. Um, one time I overheard our, uh, our news anchor, Walter Cryan. I knew what was going on just by listening to him. I knew it was on the other side of the phone. Um, he was speaking with a viewer and I heard him say, well, well, actually he's really a very nice person. Let's <laughs> be saying, you know, why did you hire this stiff? Right. And you know, he has no personality and you know, my gosh. And so I just could imagine that. So all I could say was it was a very gradual process of getting used to that kind of like, um, turning up a dimmer switch. Yeah. You know, when you yep. turn a light on, it yeah. was not like turning the light on. It was like, the dimmer switch ever so slowly uh, getting brighter was me ever so slowly getting more comfortable on television. And I'm really very thankful yeah. uh, to the management at the WPRI TV channel 12 in Providence for having some patience right. and giving me a chance to, to settle in because they very well could have just said, this guy is not made for TV. Forget it. Yeah. And imagine, and, and imagine what that would have done to the industry. You know, like given your status now, and I and you just you don't strike me as somebody. Obviously, you're a legend in what you do. Uh, you know, you've won all these awards. Like you're, so, you have such an incredible resume. But just even watching you on air and hearing you here today, you don't strike me as somebody that's like, hey, look at me. You know, like so. Imagine what that would have done for us as viewers and for meteorology in general. So thank goodness they didn't pull the plug, right? <laughs> Yeah, we yes, absolutely. Right. And thank you for all those wonderful accolades. But you know, as well as for myself, I don't know what life path uh, would have happened right. you know, if that didn't work out. Because 
I mean, this was such an interest and a passion of mine. Right. Uh, the only problem was so much so that I don't know what, you know, what else I would really be, <laughs> you know, to do, right. to be honest, especially looking all the way back, you know, at that point in my life. So, um, you know, I'm very fortunate. Mine is really a, um, a really great story. Um, very fortunate. I never lose sight of that. I've never lost sight of that. Not just the success, but basically the the chance to do something you really love for your entire career and right. adult life, and never really have these. Oh gosh, I have to go to work today. You know, never look at it that way. I've always, I think, one of the things that's fascinated me, of course, the science and the curiosity, you know, and learning. Uh, you know, because science evolves over time. We're always learning more. Uh, but also, um, I kind of look at it as trying to put the pieces of a puzzle together every day. And right. every day you have a different puzzle. Yeah. So, uh, you know, some days a puzzle is similar than the day before. And sometimes it's just a whole new puzzle. Yeah. But um, it's really great. And, you know, even though you may recognize patterns and say, ah, yes, this is helpful because I remember something like this and it may help you in your forecast, but no two things ever happen exactly the same way. Right. There's always going to be, if not significant differences, at least subtle differences. Right. So it's, it's a great profession. It's a very rewarding profession. At times it's a humbling profession. Um, you know, and um, <clears throat> earlier on in my career, you know, when forecast busts would be more common than they are now and by larger margins, uh, because you had to make such leaps of faith from what computer models were literally showing right. to what you might forecast. And of course, as as we've gotten better data into the computer models and we can run the computer models much more often now due to computer processing power, and we have many more models, and not just the global models, but the mesoscale models, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tremendous help. Expectations have gone up as well right. by the public. Of course, we're still going to have, relatively speaking, occasionally embarrassing moments, but not, not usually to the extent uh, of the type of errors that you could have had, you know, years and decades ago. Right. Um, you know, where it could happen where you're forecasting a foot of snow and never a flake would yeah. fall. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and you had mentioned, I know, obviously, you know this story, but I, I, I've mentioned this previously, and you had mentioned Don Kent. And, and Don said one of the things he used to do before he went on the air was go stand outside and look at what was actually going on before he told, I, before he like got up in front of TV, right? Absolutely. Um, even today, you know, with all the great modeling we have, you know, seeing it, ground truth. Um, you know, seeing, feeling, experiencing the weather, just what you could see with your eyes, you know, just, you know, you could be waiting, you know, for a winter storm to begin and, you know, especially situate. Yep. Okay. You could be all set for snow to move in, <laughs> you know, it's on radar. It's 10 miles West of you. Right. It's approaching. You're 26 degrees. You're all set. And what happens? The wind switches from North to East. You jump up 11 degrees. Right. And you either get snow that can't stick or you get rain. Yeah. And 30 minutes ago, you were 26 degrees and all set. Yeah. It's right? a, yeah. No, it's unbelievable. We're, we live about a quarter mile from one of the beaches here. And so we're right on the water. And it, you're, what you're describing 
is even at the micro scale too. So we'll get rain. And then if you go a mile and a half into the West end of situated snowing, you know, so it's like, it's unbelievable. And and so that was kind of one of my, my big questions I wanted to ask is that, you know, I teach my meteorology students the simple fact that being a a meteorologist, and I obviously I'm, I'm sort of skewed because of living here, but being a meteorologist in Southern New England has to be one of the most difficult meteorology jobs on the planet. Because if you're if you're in Arizona, it's 116 and it's hot. You know, like there's not in some a lot of those places there's not a lot of variation. So can you speak a little bit to that of just how difficult it is, even given the times we're in now? Absolutely. I mean, I I think a, a great case in point is this. If you're talking about, let's say you're tracking a storm, tracking a hurricane, and, uh, you know, the track winds up verifying, uh, like, within five miles. I mean, that's superlative. That's unbelievable. That's fantastic. Now let's talk about the greater Boston metropolitan area, including (laughs) Situate. Right. And you're talking about a rain-snow line during a storm. Let's say a location where to get all rain, they get about an inch of rain. Uh, If they were to get all snow... They get 10 inches or a foot of snow. And now you miss the rain snow line by five miles. Unreal. Do you realize what you've done to maybe a million people? Right. Who were expecting rain and get snow or snow and get rain and what the, the consequences of that represents an inch of rain or a foot of roughly or a foot of snow. And remember a rain snow line doesn't stay fixed in place the entire storm or precipitation event. It's going to be moving. So when you truly get into that kind of complexity of a storm, um, it's obviously going to be very challenging, especially talking about, you know, one, two, three days out. If that's how it's really going to end up, even if you don't know it's going to end up that way three days ahead of time, it would be an impossible task. Right. How would you have to even word a forecast <laughs> to be correct if you have a rain snow line that's right in the heart of massive population and it's actually moving and shifting during the course of the storm? It's incredible. And that's what actually happens with a certain degree of frequency. And, of course, we you know we know some of the reasons the temperatures above are critical, the temperatures on the surface are critical, the wind direction is critical, yep. how warm the ocean is or isn't is critical. I mean, there's so many critical factors, subtle, slight shift in the wind direction. Um, so there's just so many, uh, you know, factors that come into play. And, you know, just that alone is, you know, really talks to the point that you made about how challenging the forecasting is, you know, in Southern New England. And that doesn't even take into account, or actually it's partly included, the fact of where we're located. Right. I mean, the latitude of where we're located is often close to the battle zone between cold air masses to the north and warm air masses to the south. Then we add, you know, a body of uh, water like the Atlantic Ocean (laughs) for an increased moisture source. Right. Uh, you know, for the storms, uh, mountains not too far to the west, the hilly terrain of Worcester County, yep. the Berkshires, the Monadnock region of New Hampshire. So, uh, you know, uh, we just we're just really at a point where it's really difficult to have what we have now, which is some significant drought. And the reason I say that's 
that's tough to happen, doesn't happen that frequently here, is because we're near the battle zone so often that it's hard to have very long periods of time with semi-sustained dry weather. Right. Of course, when we do have it, uh, you know, this would be the time of the year because summertime, as we all know, the nature of precipitation, thunderstorms, convective precipitation, one town can flood, the next town over doesn't get a drop of rain. It's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Right? I mean, we, we've seen it in situate where, you know, I've, up, I've been updating when we get storms that are coming um, I use radar scope and I, you know, I blast out to my Facebook group, all the updates of the radar and we have literally watched it. The majority of the summer, kind of that, like we call it, we nickname it kind of the blue Hills effect where storms are coming at us and then they'll break up and go South and North Cohasset will get half an inch Marshfield a good half an inch and we'll get nothing, you know, like it's unbelievable. I, I, it's been one of the most remarkable summers for that, that I can remember in a long time. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, we all know in the earlier part of the of the technical warm weather season, let's say that mid late spring, uh, you know, then we know a lot of the thunderstorms are going to weaken uh, if we have any component of wind off the water, right? Because it's make it so much cooler at the surface and stabilizing the air. So we, we understand that. But of course, now that we're into the deeper part uh, of summer and the ocean water temperatures are warm, um, that doesn't happen you know, as frequently, right. uh, what you describe often happens and you'd be amazed how many, um, you know, emails I might get from people about, you know, you know, I'm in pepperal and why is it every time the storms approach, they either go North or South <laughs> and we never get them. Right. Now, often those kinds of things from locations like that, uh, are coming from people who love to see the storms right, and right. they're frustrated yeah. that, not seeing, you know, as many of them as you would think based on what radar is looking like as things approach. But remember, even lines of storms within the line, you know, it's not a continuous. A wind gust from a squall line, that might happen almost the entire line. Right. But in terms of getting the heavy rain, many times there are, you know, small concentrated cells within the line that are producing the real heavy amounts of rain and then other parts of the line are just like getting a shower. Right. And, oh. you know, so, which is, leads some people to say, I can't believe it. You know, we got all the wind. I saw a lot of lightning and we didn't even get that much rain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, again, you know, that's, uh, and that's by the way, part of the reason why I've always found it in some ways, different kinds of ways, um, the less re rewarding and more challenging part of the year to forecast in this sense. Somebody, of course, we're living in the year of COVID-19, so everything has for now changed and we have a new normal. Right. But when times are normal and people want to know, uh, I'm having a graduation party <laughs> uh, this Sunday. Right. You know, and it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, you know, is it going to rain or not? Is it going to rain or not? <laughs> well, fine. If we have an obvious high pressure area, dry air, no chance of precipitation, great. That's wonderful. I can pretty much just about guarantee it. But if we're going to deal with any type of case where, you know, there could be some storms that pop up, they could be scattered, um, you know, the aerial coverage not, might not be great. Wonderful. What does somebody do with that information? Exactly. It's certainly not a guarantee. 
uh, maybe only 5% of the area is going to get covered, but the area that gets covered gets dumped right. with a heavy downpour or a thunderstorm. And people which say, is going to ruin everything. Yeah, and then people say, you didn't tell me this. <laughs> right. Uh, or so on. Or, you know, oh, you know, I, I hear, I, you know, they talk about showers, thunderstorms in the forecast. We didn't get a drop of rain. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's and, like- uh, you know, it's like, um, you know, so uh, it's, it's hard because you can't always give people uh, enough specific information for them to make solid, strong decisions or, or make the decisions with complete confidence. And you could give the same uh, percentage of risk uh, to two different people and they'll make two different decisions because one will say, well, if it's only, you know, 5% risk, you know, I'll take my chances. Right. Somebody else might say, yeah, it's only 5% risk, but the risk is of like a thunderstorm. Yeah, yeah. You know, with like lightning. I don't want to risk that. Yeah. So, you know, you have to always realize that. I, I've always been, I haven't been so much the type of, of meteorologist that tells people what to do. I don't like to run people's lives. Right. I like to present them with the best information I can and really have them make the decisions because those are personal choices. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. You know, and by the way, that's, that's, I'm not going to get into it, but that's not the same feeling I have with regard to something like COVID-19 and masks. Right. Right. That's different. Because, <laughs> yeah. You know, we're also showing a responsibility and caring for our fellow human being by wearing a mask, even if, you know, a person doesn't even want to, or it says, I don't care about myself or something. You know, you do have a responsibility to, your fellow human being. Yeah, definitely. No doubt about it. Um, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, you know, so obviously from doing this for 40 years and you had mentioned the butterflies and how, you know, difficult you feel like your first broadcast was, does it ever get uh, too routine or are you, do you ever get kind of sick of the people, you know, just out in public and people are like, Hey, what's the weather? Does that ever get too routine for you? Um, I I don't really think so because I, to be honest with you, I've always looked at it as a privilege. Um, and I've never, ever looked at, uh, well, let's face it. Uh, you could be doing it for 45 years. You could have had your share of successes, whatever it may be, but you know what? You're only as good as your next forecast, really. Yeah. I mean, that forecast is what matters to the people at the time you're giving it. Yeah. So you can't rest on your laurels. It doesn't work. You have to take it seriously and put your full effort in every single day. And I think that, you know, when I, if, and when I reach a point, I hope I never do where um, I either can't or don't want to put in the kind of effort to give the best forecast I can, then it's surely time, you know, to, to step down. Yep. I will say that being very fortunate to still be having the opportunity to do this at this stage of my career and my life, um, your perspective to some extent changes, you know, everybody who goes through life, your perspective is going to be a little bit different, you know, at age 50 than it was at age 20, than it was at age 10 or would be at age 70, whatever it may be. Um, so I am working somewhat less than I used to work in terms of the total number of days. Yep. Uh, and the station has been great about it. Plus the fact we have a great staff, right? I mean, we have Cindy Fitzgibbon, Mike Wonkum. A.J. Burnett, Kellyanne Chickalese. So 
uh, you know, it's great to know that there's always an excellent meteorologist on Channel 5, whether I'm there or not. And, uh, and it's great that the station has allowed me to, you know, pare back my schedule some so I can balance things, again, especially in normal times and spending time with my family and blessed with wonderful kids and grandkids and, uh, and still get a chance to do, you know, something I love. Uh, with somewhat less frequency, but still enough regularity that I'm still, you know, always zeroed in on the weather, which I would be even if I was retired completely. Right. <laughs> That's not right. going to end. Yeah, right. You, follow it. Yeah, you don't like stop. crazy. Yeah, you don't stop loving what you love, you know. Um, I think one, you know, obviously I'm going to eventually, if, you know, the podcast continues, do an entire blizzard of 78 week or something like that. And, and you know, if, uh, being respectful to your time, I, you know, I'm not going to have you tell us everything about it. But, you know, I always say to my students that, you know, the entire southern New England area um, is impacted by what I like to call the, the blizzard of 78 effect. And what I mean by that is you have people that generationally now are parents and grandparents that grew up in southern New England in that storm and that's where the phenomena of even with all the technology we have and all the incredible changes that have happened in meteorology, that's where you still get the go to the store and get bread and milk. I have students that work at, sup at supermarkets that say the three days before a storm, even now, knowing what we know, there are still people that stock up before the big storm. And I call that the blizzard of 78 effect because it's still impacts people all these years later, even though they probably aren't going to lose power and they can go to the store the next day. You know, can you just briefly talk about uh, the impact of that storm on your career? Oh my gosh. I mean, uh, uh, it was huge. And I, and I think the impact actually has grown larger uh, over the years and the decades. Wow. I mean, going back to the storm itself, and, you know, I mentioned earlier about making great leaps of faith. Well, you know, when the blizzard of 78 hit, that was actually my first winter in Boston. It's unbelievable. Um, and I, I had three years on television in Providence, Rhode Island. And I'm from, you know, the New York City area. So when you think about it, uh, my career, especially for being in the media, has been amazingly simple. I just basically slid up I-95 a couple of times. Right. And that's right. a summary of my career. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a geographic location. Right. But I'm always attuned to Northeast weather. And, and then you take the fact that I'm out of school and out of graduate school and I had a great professor in graduate school. His name was uh, Vinnie Cardone. And um, I actually started a petition and got nine students to sign it <laughs> about teaching for him to teach a synoptic meteorology class at the graduate school level wow. because he was unbelievably his tremendous oceanographer, meteorologist. Uh, he, he was everything. He was, he just, he was brilliant uh, and he could communicate it and he loved talking about it and teaching it. And so, you know, I took that class. Um, I guess it was in, in, you know, in maybe in 73 or something like that. And yeah, the blizzard came five years later, but I learned so many great things from that class. And that was an era where computer models were around. Um, you know, they, as I said, you, you, you had to make great leaps of faith and you kind of knew certain things to look for and you could kind of fill in the blanks that the computer models couldn't supply. So I think that having great 
uh, graduate school level synoptic meteorology uh, in the early 70s kind of helped me tremendously when the blizzard of 78 came because that was that type of a situation yep. where you could see at high levels of the atmosphere, a circulation was going to cut off and slide down south of New England um, and be very vigorous. And yet the computer models are either barely showing something developing on the coast or they're showing a storm that's not producing any precipitation because right. it kind of didn't recognize the Atlantic Ocean as a yeah. body of water <laughs> in those days. So you had to fill in a lot of the blanks. Wow. Um, but in that case, you know, being somewhat younger, but knowing in those days the modern forecast, what were considered the modern, more modern forecasting tools, I think was a great benefit for me. And uh, a lot, and I was just sold and convinced that this is like, this is like what you dream of as a kid who, who loves winter storms. These are all the ingredients. Bitter cold Arctic air is in place. Massive high pressure, you know, from West Central Canada with a cell uh, across northern New England and southern Canada. And, um, you know, what on the surface is just a little what we call little Alberta clipper yep. sliding down through the Great Lakes. And you just knew that you're going to have a major development you know, along the mid-Atlantic coast that's going to, you know, start moving northeastward. And we know when these systems cut off at high levels of the atmosphere, they slow down. And, you know, I just saw everything, you know, fitting into place. And, uh, you know, the blizzard started on um, uh, Monday afternoon, February 6th. Um, and it was Thursday evening. Uh, for those days, this is unbelievable. Right. You know, that I started talking it up. And I remember saying things like, you know, one doesn't want to go too far out on a limb or one may fall off. Okay, I remember actually saying that on the air the Thursday night, you know, before the storm hit. Um, and, you know, I don't think there were many meteorological voices, you know, talking like that. Now, I was on Channel 7 at the time. Yeah. And in those days, um, Channel 4 and 5 dominated the market. So... You know, the masses of people weren't watching me. Uh, the ones who did, and I worked Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. And Saturday night is the one where you see some of the clips, if you've ever seen us show Blizzard anniversary shows. Oh, or, yeah. Or isn't things like that, you know, or, you know, yeah, you know, like whatever, you know, the line about it's, uh, you know, like in a textbook, you know, and yeah, so yeah. on and so forth. And, you know, you, I mean, I was just like, like possessed, you know, like. <laughs> saw the whole image of it. I love it. And, you know, the people who actually saw all that happen in real time, you know, I mean, I would get whatever the first, you know, in, in the old days of snail mail, I'd get letters, you know, and then emails or things on social media. Oh, Harvey, I remember, you know, from the Blizz 78, I remember what you said and, and so on and so forth. And then others became aware of it through, you know, commemorating the storm on the anniversaries. And then I move over to Channel 5 and Dick Albert, God rest his soul, yep. what a great guy as well as great meteorologist. We got a chance to work together and uh, we did some blizzard specials and he would be interviewing me about all these things we're talking about now. So more and more people became aware over time, whereas in real time, I think a comparatively small percentage of people actually saw the work I did in real time. Right. So I, that's why I say it's something that I think has grown yeah. um, over the years because more and more people 
you know, became aware of it through commemorating the storm. Yeah, there were, there were probably these people thinking, who's this young kid and what does he think he knows? You know, like about like, the- At the time, perhaps, <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, I would understand that. I mean, you, you know, you have, uh, you know, the, the icons who who really, you know, started television meteorology and the ones that we can thank for all of us that follow the Bruce Schweiglers, the Dick Alberts, the Harvey Leonards, and the current generation, you know, Don Kent, as I mentioned, and Bob Copeland, uh, for TV really paved the way and they paved the way with professional presentations, even early in their area where they didn't have that many era, where they didn't have that many tools to work with yet. They gave it a professional presentation and still treated it like the science it was evolving into while other parts of the country had puppet shows doing the weather. Right. So right. the thanks really, uh, it's to Don and to, and to Bob. Yeah, that's um, that's amazing. Yeah, and and you you know, uh, one of the things that I always tell my listeners, Harvey, is that with every episode that I do, and particularly with this one, I put links to a lot of the things we're talking about, and I will certainly be sure, you know, to put up links to Don and to Bob and and those folks that obviously were so meaningful to you. Um, as we wrap, absolutely. yeah, as we wrap it up here, I wanna, I always like to give my guests an opportunity. Is there? Uh, good, any good contact information that you can share that our listeners can reach out to say hi? Uh, you mean to, to me personally? Yeah, uh, is it, uh, either through social media, your Twitter account, or or did, should they reach out to you, find your email on the on the station, or what's a good way to reach out to you? Uh, for sure, uh, the email to the station um, it is um, it's H Leonard, so it's H L E O N A R D. Yep at at Hearst, H-E-A-R-S-T dot com, because we are owned by Hearst. And uh, and I have to tell you, they are a great media company. They really, really are. And that's a big part of why Channel 5 is a great station, even though it's always been a great station. Awesome. Uh, but that that's certainly one way. Um, at at Harvey um, WCVB, with capitals for WCVB, uh, is uh, Twitter. Okay. Um, um, really, I think as well as Facebook. Um, and you know, those are, those are probably the best ways to, uh, uh, you know, to contact me. Awesome. I would say. Great. And so, uh, it's time for our weather quiz question that I'll, uh, I always like to give my guests a chance to, uh, to answer. So today our question was, we're dealing with at least abnormally dry. And in some location, uh, locations we're in drought conditions here in Southern New England. And so our quiz question today is what place on earth is actually classified as the driest place on the planet? Harvey, you want to give it a shot? Wow. That, that is a great question. I have to tell you that I, that I humbly tell you, I have no idea. (laughs) One, number two, I'll also be very honest and very humbling I'm not the greatest test taker in the world. <laughs> All right, um, that, that. you know, I'm the type of person that uh, usually needs to research things, um, you know, to find out. So I think that's a great question. I'm curious to know the answer, but I have to admit I don't know the answer. All right, awesome. I mean, I'm gonna assume it's a desert climate somewhere, but I don't know the answer. Wow, I love it, and I thanks for your humility there too. That's awesome. I, I always say, as a teacher, one of the best things you can say when a student asks a question if you don't know is I don't know. You know, like. Because they're gonna right. know, they're gonna know you don't know if you just start making stuff up. Um, so I researched this a little bit too, and actually the the driest place on Earth is a place called the McMurdo Dry Valleys in Antarctica. Um, so they literally receive zero precipitation throughout the course of the entire year. 
Um, it's a little valley area in Antarctica, and uh, I was yeah, I was surprised by that too. So um, I'll, I'll just say it, Harvey. Um, obviously, on my behalf, as somebody, you know, you don't, you know, this is the first time we've ever talked. You took a chance with somebody that has a grand total of 17 followers on Twitter. So, and this is a, a brand new podcast. And on behalf of weather fans everywhere, I can't thank you enough for both your time today and just everything you have given to New England and to the weather community. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Steve. I really appreciate it. And thank you for doing such a great job educating uh, students. I, I can't think of anything that's more valuable anywhere when you're educating kids and getting teaching them and getting them interested and enthusiastic about the subject matter. And you're doing that. So Keep doing it and all the other great things that you're doing. And thanks for having me on the show. Oh, yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks, Harvey. And thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. Uh, you can find out more about today's show as well as upcoming episodes by visiting obsessedwiththeweather.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you're listening to your podcasts on. And again, visit obsessedwiththeweather.com to find out more information.